Well, let's get into today's lesson. And uh, today we are going to be talking about and walking through the Bible. Now, when I say that initially, you're probably like, hey, man, I came to church on a Sunday morning. I understand we're going to be talking about the Bible. But today I actually want to take a few steps back and I, and I really want to walk through like the high level macro story of the Bible. This thing that we read about and this thing that we've given our lives to, like, what is this ultimately about? Isn't it interesting that we don't often do that? We tend to get into our little studies and little, little things that interest us, and yet we forget about the whole story that we believe in and have given our lives for. And so that's what I want to dive into today. And so like Devin mentioned last week, this is going to be another one of those messages where we don't have like the three or four points for you to write down and, and this perfect, you know, practical application to take away with you. More than anything, what I want us to do is hear, listen, and reflect on what this story means for us, what it means for how we view God, what it means for how we view ourselves and, and reflection of that. And as we move forward, just see what that does to our hearts and to our minds. And so with that in mind, before we get into it, I would like to just say a word of prayer that, that God would position us to receive whatever it is that we need to receive, to hear whatever it is that we need to hear for our lives and for whatever it is that is going on around us. And so if you would just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we have come here today to ultimately encounter you, to spend time with you, to worship you. And so I, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds to whatever it is that, that we are here to receive from you, to hear from you. And, and that's going to happen on a personal, individual level because that's the type of God that you are. And so I pray that you would focus us in, that you would get rid of any distractions in our hearts and in our minds, and that this would land on, on good soil within us and that it would stir and sprout forth good fruit in our lives. God, just, just, just hone us in on what you want us to receive today. We love you. We trust in you. We follow after you. And so your will be done in this place through the power of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, let's jump into things. And here's how we're going to break this down today. We're going to break this into five major parts or movements. All right, because what we see with the biblical story is that there are distinct parts of the narrative, and yet all of it seamlessly flows together to tell one big story, right? And so I want to kind of break down each piece of this, but ultimately point us in the direction that we need to go. And so let's jump right into this. So let's get to part one of the story. Part one, we open up our Bibles, we turn to page one. And we begin to read. And here is what we read from the beginning. We see that there is this supreme being who is in action, right? Uh, the, the Hebrew word for God here is Elohim, which is actually more of a broad term uh, for a supreme being or for a higher power. Later, the Hebrew word would be Yahweh, which is the specific word for the one true God of Israel. And so we see this God who is bringing about order. 
Early on page one, it says that there is darkness over the face of the waters, that things are formless and they are void and they are chaotic. And as page one evolves, we see him bringing about order and peace and purpose and functionality. He brings light to the darkness and he brings land to the water. We see this purpose-filled creation beginning to evolve in front of our eyes. And towards the end of page one, we see something interesting. And that is, as part of this purpose-filled creation, God makes an image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this is what we see from the beginning. Human beings are created in the very image of God. Which is to say, among other things, that we are created to reflect God into creation. And, and, and what he says from the beginning is, you have a job to do. You, 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 you are here for a reason, for a purpose, and here it is. To rule and reign my creation on my behalf. That's why you were created. We, we talked about this a few months ago in a series on stewardship, that ultimately our vocation as human beings is to steward wisely the things that God has given us and his creation all around us. That is why we are here. This is such an important part of the biblical story because what it is showing us is that God desires to bring about his purposes and his plans in and through you and I, in and through his images. And so this is what we see from the beginning. We turn to page two of the story and we see God dwelling within his creation, dwelling alongside his images. It's just this beautiful picture of, of, of harmony and beauty in the way that things were intended to be. And then we turn to page three and we get our first plot twist, right? We'll, we'll simply call this the choice. And, and here it is, simply this. As human beings rule and reign within God's creation, they have a choice. Will they do this according to their wisdom, according to what they think is best, and according to their desires, or will they do it according to God's ways, according to his wisdom, and according to what he knows is best? And unfortunately, you and I know the answer to that. Not only because of the story, but in truth, because of our lives, and our experiences. Because this is representative of all of us. Over and over again, we choose to do things our way. We choose to rely upon our own wisdom, and we stop trusting God. And so immediately, we see the fallout of that decision. In fact, we see this moment of almost decreation that happens. God takes darkness and chaos and he pushes it into peace and order and now human beings are pushing it right back to the darkness and to the chaos. We see brother now killing brother. We see wickedness and we see evil and, and we see terrible decisions and mass violence and abuse of one another. Just these terrible, messy things that are rising to the surface over and over again. And the snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the end of part one of the story, we now have mankind trying to unite together to be God themselves. Not to be like God as they were intended to, but to actually become God over his creation. And so we move into part two of the story. Obviously, things have gone haywire. Things are not the way they were intended to be. And so part two we'll call the strategy. 
Because this is what happens in part two. God looks over creation. He sees that things are not the way they were intended to be. And so he comes up with a plan. And this is it. He's going to choose. He's going to elect one person, one family, through whom he's going to bless all of the nations. He's going to take this one. He's going to try to get it right with this one so that everybody else sees and follows suit. In our series a few months ago, I likened the creation story to a party metaphor. And I talked about how it's like showing up to this party that is hosted by this generous host. You show up at this party, it's just full of abundance and and beauty and splendor. It's almost overwhelming how amazing this is. And yet you start looking around and people start acting kind of strange. Like at this beautiful party, they're actually stealing things and they're hoarding things for themselves and they're getting violent with one another. It's like, what is going on at this party? But the strategy would be like like the host pulling one of the guests aside and saying, listen, this is what the party's really about. This is what this is really about. It's abundant, it's beautiful, and here's how you can exist within it and, and thrive within it in hopes that the guest goes out and does that and everybody else sees and kind of follows along with that plan. Sounds like a good strategy to me. Unfortunately, as we read the rest of the narrative, it's one big, massive failure. We see some success stories that are kind of littered throughout, and we try to cling to those with everything in us, but the truth is, over and over and over again, we see failure, we see sin, we see wickedness, we see selfishness. In fact, what we learn is that part two is simply a replay of part one over and over again. God tries to bring about peace and order, and humans push back to the darkness and chaos. God tries to bring about peace and order, and humans push back to the darkness and the chaos over and over again. Just go read First and Second Kings. You'll see this really clearly. It's this cycle of failure. As you're reading, you almost get upset, like, come on, guys, get it right. Come on. But this is representative of all of this cycle of failure over and over again. And this is when we get into part three of the story, and we'll call this the prophets. Now, here's the thing. When we say the word prophet or even the word prophecy, I think what immediately comes to most of our minds is this picture of of them being like fortune tellers, right? They, They tell the future of the things that are to come, but the truth is that is not the main objective of what a prophet was or what prophecy is. A prophet was simply somebody who gave a message from God. It's as simple as that. And so actually, oftentimes, what the prophets were is they were like social justice spokesmen in their day and in their context. They're trying to point the the people back to what is good and and what is right. And so as we read the biblical narrative and read through the, the major and the minor prophets, we see them doing two things primarily. The first is what I just said. They're trying to point people to justice and righteousness, especially the people of Israel, the one through whom the blessing is supposed to come. They're trying to say, you need to go back to the ways of God. You need to trust in him. Go down this path. This is what is best. But the second thing that they're trying to do is point to a future hope that one day there will come somebody through whom the blessing indeed arrives for all of creation. And they began to call this person the Messiah, the anointed one. Somebody was going to show up on the scene who was truly going to restore things back to the way they were intended to be. And this is how the Old Testament ends. 
This is how the Hebrew scriptures end. It's this one big cliffhanger, this cycle of failure and this future hope that is in front of us. This is when we move into part four of the story. We open up the New Testament and immediately as we open, we are introduced to a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And very, very early on, we learn that this is the one who the prophets were talking about. This is the one through whom was going to bring about healing and restoration to all of God's creation. In fact, it's interesting, our gospel writers are so intentional about bringing this to the forefront. They're trying to show that the entire story is ultimately pointing to Jesus. In fact, think about the three parts that we just went through. Part one, we talked about the beginning, right? In the beginning, God, right? That's the, the first words that we see, and that's exactly how John starts his gospel account. In the beginning. In other words, from the very beginning of the story, it was pointing to Jesus. Part two of the story, the chosen one who is going to bless all nations, Abraham, right? This is the guy, and guess how Matthew starts his gospel account with a genealogy that points back to Abraham. Part three, the prophets who are prophesying about what is to come. Guess how Mark starts his gospel account with a, a prophecy from Isaiah. There will come somebody who prepares the way for the Messiah to come. What they're trying to show is that all along, this is about Jesus, and he has finally arrived on the scene. A little twist, though. Because this time, God wasn't going to bring the blessing through some random human being in the eastern part of the world. It wasn't just going to come through somebody who was living a normal life. This time, he was going to come and do it himself. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God wrapped himself in flesh, and he came for us. This is the one who's going to bring restoration, who's going to bring healing to the nations, who's ultimately going to win the victory. And here's what he came to do. He came to bring the kingdom of God to earth. You go read through the gospel accounts. You tell me the things that Jesus talks about. You tell me the message that he preaches over and over again. He's saying the kingdom is here. This is what it's about. Now the question becomes, how does the kingdom come to earth? How exactly do we enter into this and how can we be a part of this? And what's interesting is, well, we've read the story up to that point. We know how kingdoms come into prominence and we know how kingdom, uh, kings rise to the surface. We've seen it, right? And, and, and there are a few things that have to happen. You have to exert your power over the people, right? You, you have to remain in power. So if you have to abuse people, you abuse them. And if you have to oppress people, you oppress them. That is how you bring a kingdom into this world. There has to be bloody war and violence and you have to vanquish the enemy and you have to rise to prominence and fame and become really well off and influential. I mean, that's how, that's how a kingdom comes, right? And yet Jesus shows up and he tells a very different message. He says, that's not how the kingdom of God comes to earth. This is how the kingdom comes to earth, through self-giving love. Through genuine kindness, and gentleness, through radical generosity to those around you, by, by making peace with those around you, by being a, a life of joy, by laying down your life for the benefit of others. 
That's how this kingdom comes to earth. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus makes it pretty clear, right? He says, love your enemies and do good to them. That's how you bring about the kingdom. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Forgive them over and over again. Sacrifice everything you have for the benefit of others. And that's how the kingdom of God comes to earth. And the truth is that doesn't make a lick of sense to you and I. That is not logical. That is not reasonable. But this is what Jesus shows us. And of course, he lives this out to the fullest extent. He is the perfect example of what this looks like. As we read about his life and the things that he was given to and and the way that he healed people and restored people and, and taught truth, I mean, he was the best example of this. Through his sacrificial death on a cross so that our sins would be forgiven once and for all, through his victorious resurrection so that we can have new life in him, he becomes king of the universe and he shows us how to rule and reign within it. This becomes the part of the story that now you and I are grafted into. Now, here, this becomes the part of the story that we are invited into, a people who bring the kingdom of God to earth. We now become the people through whom the blessings go out to all the nations. Again, remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, you are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, a city upon a hill. You are the ones who are to bring the kingdom of God to earth every moment of every day. Through your love, through peace, through kindness, this is how you do it. This leads us to the fifth part of the story. We'll simply call this the end. This is the part that we look forward to as the ultimate resolution of the story. Here's the interesting part. Many of us, for many different reasons, have kind of gotten this one a little bit wonky. A lot of us, especially in the modern West, have gotten this confused as to what the end of the story is really about because most of us think the end of the story is that we die and we're kind of whisked off into heaven to be with Jesus for eternity. Some other dimension, that's ultimately the good news of what Jesus came to do. The truth is, is that Jesus came teaching a very different message. His apostles came teaching a very different message. And that is not taking us away to heaven, but rather bringing heaven to earth, to fully bring his kingdom to earth as it was intended to be from the beginning. This is exactly what we read in Revelation 21. It says, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. In the Greek, it could be translated renewed heavens and renewed earth. In other words, he will restore all things. It's exactly what it says. He is making all things new. He will restore and renew all of God's creation. What was intended at the beginning now becomes the resolution at the end. Heaven and earth fully reunited. God's kingdom fully on earth as he reigns forever and ever. This is the story. Now let's take a few steps back for a moment and let's talk about why it's important to understand that. And there are many reasons we could go on forever and ever but a few important reasons why we need to understand it. The reason we're doing this message today is because we are about to enter into Christmas season. Next week, we're gonna start going through our different uh, Advent topics and we're gonna push towards the birth of Christ. 
But the truth is, is it's really easy to lose sight of what Christmas is all about. And I don't mean to be, uh, you know, cliched here, but that's the truth. We forget about what this season is all about. And, and instead this year, I want us to reflect upon this story. I want us to think about what this story is ultimately about in this season. Because we are not simply celebrating a baby who was born in a manger in the town of Bethlehem. We are celebrating a king who has arrived and who has ushered in his kingdom. That's what we're celebrating. And so I hope that over the coming days and the coming weeks, we truly reflect on that. We truly meditate on that. And we understand the implications that are behind that. Another reason I want to talk about this this Sunday is because starting in the new year, we're going to begin a brand new series called How to Read the Bible. Amen. <laughs> hey, he's excited. I mean, here's the thing. This is going to be an integral series for this church. This is going to be huge. And today was really a prelude to that eventual series that we would take a few steps back and actually realize what the Bible is and what it isn't. This is a story that we are to enter into to understand the implications for us. I mentioned this at the beginning, but it's so interesting how we tend to approach the Bible. We dig into our studies and we dig into these characters and we get all up in the weeds and yet we forget to take a few steps back and go, what is this all about? What is God really up to in and through his creation? What does he desire from us? And we need to be reminded of that. So I would ask that you would prepare your hearts and your minds for that series. Get ready for that, because I truly think it will change your perspective. Here's the ultimate reason I wanted to talk about it this Sunday. This is important. As followers of Jesus, as the church of Jesus Christ, this is our story. This is ours. This is the story that we believe in. This is the story we put our hope in. This is the story we put our faith in. And this is the story that we become a part of. And we cannot lose sight of that. We must be a kingdom-minded people. We must be a people who are focused on what is good and what is right. Do not lose focus. Do not lose focus. Keep your eyes on what is truly happening. This is how we bring the kingdom to earth. This is how we fulfill what Christ has ultimately come to do. And this is how I want us to move forward. So listen, over the coming weeks, over the coming months, I'm asking you seriously to meditate on this story. I want you to think through what this means about God, what this means about us and reflection. I want you to really understand the depths of what is going on here. And just see, as it takes root of your heart and your mind, see what it stirs within you. You know, here's the coolest thing about the end of the story, about a full reuniting of heaven and earth, God's kingdom fully on earth. You and I can push towards that here and now. We can push towards that in our lives every moment of every day through love and through peace and through kindness and through goodness and through generosity and through faithfulness. You can do that in your home. You can do that in your neighborhood. You can do that at your place of work. Every moment of every day can be full of purpose. Yes. Yes. But you have to remember the story. You have to remember what's truly going on. 